Good morning. You guys, everybody's out there? I can see. Hey, would you flip the lights just a little bit? There you go. Now I can see you guys out there. Um, isn't it good to be together? It, it just, it, it, like, God does something when his people gather together, and so it's a, it's a good place. Um, I want to pray for us as we get rolling this morning and just ask the Lord uh, to do some cool things. Jesus, uh, thank you so much for uh, our time together. We know uh, that this gather time is worthless unless you show up and unless this is for you. And so uh, we want to just give this time to you. Uh, we want to offer it to you as a sacrifice, Lord. Uh, so, Father, where we carry in barriers and walls, I pray this morning that you would help us to lay those down, um, that you would, uh, wherever we're coming from, uh, in our mind, Father, that we would give you the space to work, whether we're closed off to you or completely open to you, that we come with a mindset that just says, uh, if you want to change something, change it. If you want to encourage me, encourage me. If you want to challenge me, challenge me. Um, if you want to convict me, convict me. Uh, but at the end of the day, what we want to do, Father, is we want to bow our knee to you, uh, to your authority, to what you have for us. And so as we get to open up your word, we're actually we're going to put ourselves under the authority of your teaching, under the authority of your words. Uh, and so um, let us come away from this time full uh, not because of anything that I say, but because we were in your scriptures, we were in your word, and your spirit was at work. So use this time for uh, our good, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. As I'm, I'm pumped that we are finally starting in the book of Haggai uh, this morning. Uh, we've been kind of promoting it for the, the last month or so, and we're finally here. Um, but I have to be uh, real honest with you uh, that um, I wasn't too familiar with the book of Haggai. Um, I've uh, spent time in seminary and Bible school, and we've studied this, but as far as actually applying it and, and digging into it for myself, like it's kind of been on the perimeter of, of my life. And so I am excited to dig in with you, and I, I really believe that when you go through something together, you grow uh, together. So I'm excited to learn over the next four weeks about this book, about what God's heart is uh, for his people with you, uh, my brothers and sisters in Christ, and my friends in the room. And so I'm really excited about that time, uh, but it's good to grow together. And so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up to uh, the book of, of Haggai. Um, and, and here's the truth, guys. Like, I've been struggling with, like, how do you say this name? Is it Haggai? Like, Haggai? Is it Haggai? Um, is it Haggai? You know, like throw a little something in there. But I, I think you can probably say it in a thousand different ways. But if you throw a little phlegm there in the back of your throat, then you get a little bit of Haggai. I think you're actually going to land into this place that, that it was actually meant to be said. But and so if you're trying to, you know, talk with your friends about what you're studying this week, man, if you just land somewhere in that space, they're going to understand, okay? And if you're, if you're wondering, like, where on earth is Haggai in my Bible? And you're sweating right now because you're like, I didn't even know that was in there. Um, it is a book. Uh, it's in there. But if you uh, turn to the New Testament, that's somewhere around the middle. Uh, you'll land in Matthew. Go to the left, just a few pages, and you're going to land in, in Haggai. It's just two short chapters. And, and so sometimes if you haven't made your way in there in a while, those pages are going to stick together, and you're just going to keep flipping on right by it. Uh, but take your time. Find it. That's where we're at um, this morning. And just so to set this out, uh, the book is set in the context of God reminding his people to keep the main thing the main thing. That's what we're going to talk about. The, the entire month that we go through this book, just keeping the main thing the main thing. Because uh, we can settle for a lot less good things and, and, and miss what God might have for us, but we're just going to focus on keeping the main thing the main thing. What are we going to focus on? 
keeping the main thing the main thing, right? All month long, keeping the main thing the main thing. Now, would you agree with me that there is always a constant battle going on for, for first place? First place in games, first place in our minds, first place for our attention. Uh, in just a little while, um, I'm, I'm going to get done. I'm going to get done preaching here, and I'm going to go home. I'm going to throw on some shorts. I'm going to run out the door, and I'm going to watch my son uh, play a football game, which I'm incredibly excited about because this is his first year playing tackle football, and this is his second game, and he, they are so fun to watch. But the truth is, I didn't play football when I was growing up. I played one year in high school, and I didn't get to learn the fundamentals, and so I go to practice with, and I'm sitting over here like, okay. So, so this is what you do. That's, that's, the, that's the one, two, three gap. And that's the, you know, I'm just, I'm just learning all this stuff. And so just as much as he's learning, I'm over here soaking it in. And I'm acting like I'm just being a good dad. But really, like on Sundays and Saturdays when I'm watching football, now I'm going to actually get to understand like what they're doing. I'm not just watching the scoreboard to see who wins. Does that make me sound like less of a guy? I feel like it just did. Um, I love football, guys, okay? I watch it. But no, I'm, I'm learning about how the game works. And as I'm, one of the things that I'm learning and I'm watching my son learn at the same time is that there is a real battle uh, for first place that's going on out there in the field, right? We know that having the most points on the board at the end of the game, that's a pretty big deal, right? No matter what you're playing, you know, you wanna, if you got the most points on the board, you're going to walk away victorious. You're, you're, you're going to be uh, the winners. But there are these little battles that come along throughout what's going on on the field, throughout the game, that's going to determine if you actually get to walk off the field victorious or if you end up walking away with your head, your head hung down low in some level of defeat. It's all these little battles for first. Who's going to get the first block? Who's going to get to be the first one to make first contact? Who's going to get their hands there first? Who's going to have the first hit? Who's going to get the, the first down? There are a lot of these little battles for first that take place if we're going to make sure that we walk off the field victorious. And of course, there's always going to be opposition that comes along if you're trying to get first place, right? You don't just kind of line up on the line and your opponent, your enemy, however you want to view them, you don't just walk up to the line and look at them. They're like, hey, come on over here, take all the points. Come on over here, do whatever you want to us. No, the opposition, their job is to inflict as much pain on you as possible to do whatever they can to stop you from winning the game. That's their job. Their job is to make your job as hard as possible to accomplish. They're there to inflict pain. The battle for first is always going to come with opposition. But it doesn't mean that we give up, right? It does. Like, when it's hard, we don't give up, right? We're not in a group of people who give up when there's a fight. I'm just going to trust that on faith here, okay? But if it's worth it to us, we dig in and we get after it and we fight. And so what I want to do is I want to swing this out of the realm of football and say, you know, there are times when we walk through life and we don't really feel satisfied or we don't feel like um, uh, anything around us, maybe even in making sense, or, or just we don't walk around feeling fulfilled. Now, I would say that's not all the time. Like most of us, we're going to say, hey, there are times in my life where I just feel deeply fulfilled. There are times in my life where I just feel deeply satisfied. But if, we're, uh, but if I'm honest, more times than not, maybe I just feel like there, there might just be a little bit more. I, I'm working. I've got a job, and I like my job, and I go to my job. But at the end of the day, when I lay my head down on my pillow, it just, it just doesn't feel like that's doing it for me. 
Um, I, I've really dreamed about being a mom or I've dreamed about being a dad. And, and I thought that whenever I had kids that that would fulfill me. But at the end of the day, like I've had them and, and, it, and it's a joyful thing and I love my kids. But when I lay my head down at the end of the night, I still feel like there might be something a, a little bit missing. Now, I, I've been able to secure a lot of finances in my life, and I feel financially secure, and I feel like my kids are going to be secure, and, and, and so I can lay my head down at the night knowing that we're financially taken care of, we're financially cared for, but I still feel like there might be something a little bit missing. And, and so we just feel like, man, I, I don't know. Is this all that there, there is? And can I tell you why I think that is? I think it's because of this idea of there's always this battle for first going on. A battle for what's really going to satisfy our hearts. The, the thing that we thought would be fulfilling or the thing that society tells us that this is going to be the thing that's going to be the most fulfilling thing that's going to make you feel satisfied in your life. It's not working. It, it's not doing what, what we're being told it, it's supposed to do. But what is truly satisfying, what will actually be the fulfillment that our heart needs and our heart desires, it comes to upstream. It comes with a, a, a lot of grit. It comes um, going against the grain. And to be real honest, it comes with a lot of opposition that goes along with it. And this is why Haggai writes this little book. There was a battle that was going on for first place and some op opposition shows up. And instead of digging in and fighting for what truly satisfies and what they would say in their heart and their mind, this is actually worth it. They give in and the enemy stops them from doing uh, what they were called to do stops them dead in their tracks. And this book stands here, the book of Haggai stands here, not necessarily as, as a rebuke to us to say, hey, to smack us on our hands and say that you're never going to be good enough, you're never going to be able to, to accomplish this. The book of Haggai is here, and it reminds us that none of us are immune to this. That, that, that we're always at risk of forgetting what matters most. That, that it really comes easy. I can't tell you how many times that I have felt just so focused on what I think is right. And that all of a sudden I wake up and I'm like, ah, what the heck just happened? Like I was so focused, but, but, now, but now I'm not. It's so easy to get off track sometimes. And, and so not, it, it's a book to say, hey, we're not immune to this. There are days that we, that we wake up and we say, wow, how did I get over here? All I wanted to do was be over there, but now I'm, I'm somehow o -o over here. And guys, this is the little battles along the way out there on the field. If, if we're going to walk away victorious with the most points on the board, it's these little battles uh, along the way that are played on the field of life. And so if, instead of getting sidetracked and satisfied by small things, what Haggai is going to remind us is that we are going to keep the main thing the main thing. And where the main thing hasn't been the main thing, he's going to call us back to keep the main thing the main thing. And so I think in order for us to, under, to understand what's happening in the book, we have to go back just a, a little bit um, to be able to get our minds around the context. So back in the day, King Solomon, he builds this beautiful temple for God. I mean, this thing is magnificent. He was skilled, he was wise, and he had the most money that anybody has ever had. And he was able to build this magnificent temple uh, for God. And so all of Israel came there to worship. And not only did Israel go there to worship, but people all around the world came to see this magnificent feat, not to worship, but just to see th this glorious building. And it was, it was a beautiful thing. But after King Solomon dies, the people stopped following God. They settled in to doing what everybody else around them was doing. And, and they started worshiping other gods. They didn't just they didn't just, or they started worshiping, they didn't just stop worshiping Yahweh God. 
they started worshiping the gods of, of the land as well. And here's the truth. They didn't intend for that to happen, right? They didn't just wake up one day and say, hey, you know what? Today just feels like a fantastic day to start worshiping other gods. Today feels like a great day to, to, to stop letting the main thing be the main thing. This is actually something that, that was a slow drift away, where they would wake up one day and say, man, how did I get here? How did we get to this place? What happened? See, the reality was that God had warned them over and over and over again. He says, hey, don't turn back. Don't forget me. Turn back to me. Turn back to me. Turn back to me. But they didn't. And what happens is God allows um, the nation of Babylon to come in and ransack the southern kingdom of Judah in and around 586 BC. And the whole city gets destroyed. But not only does the city get destroyed, this magnificent building in this temple that King Solomon had built, this gets destroyed too. And so anything that resembles the worship of Yahweh God, it is completely removed from the society. There's nothing left. Their civilization is gone. Their, their identity as a people is gone. The worship of God is gone. And, and, and that went on for 70 years. And I don't want us to rush past this. I want us to think about it and actually put ourselves in, in the story here. Because there's a, there's a lot that's going on in Afghanistan right now. And so I want to use that to kind of put this into to our context and help us wrap a mind, our minds around what 70 years in captivity would, would look like. This would be the equivalent of the Taliban coming in right now, wiping out our entire culture, right? Setting up their Taliban regime, destroying our churches, destroying our way of life. And now we're no longer free men and women and children. Now we're under the captive rule of these tyrants. We can't worship the way that we want. We can't just get up and travel any way that we want. And for 70 years, they live under this type of tyranny. And if you have children in, in this time period, they grow up in captivity. They don't even know what it looks like to be free because they've been under this type of dictatorship and tyranny for so long. This is what uh, Judah is going through. This is what they're experiencing right now. But then in 538 BC, there's a new sheriff who comes to town. The Babylonians get defeated by the Persians. Now, the Babylonians, the way that they did things, their whole goal was to wipe out your identity as a people group. They just separated you from who you were. They stripped you down bear. But the Persians, they, they functioned a little bit differently. They didn't care if you just if you went about and did your business. You could, you could kind of go and do your thing, but they just knew that we are authority over you, and you're going to do what we ask you to do. They, they did it differently. And so what they do is they send 50,000 of these refugees back into Jerusalem to start rebuilding their lives. Now, you can imagine, if you're one of these uh, Jewish brothers or sisters heading back into your homeland, how excited you would be, right? Like, we've been waiting for this day all of our lives, and we finally, get to get, we finally get to go home. Let's go and do this thing. And so they go home, and the first thing that they do is they start to rebuild the temple. This, this is the main thing on their mind. We're going to rebuild the temple, and it's great. And it looks like all of Judah and all the Jewish men and women, like, they are locked into this thing. And so if you were to ask them, hey, why are you, or, or, or what, do you know what you're doing? Yes, we know exactly what we're doing. Well, what are you doing? Well, we're rebuilding the temple. Well, why are you rebuilding the temple? Because we love the Lord our God, and we want to rebuild our life on Him. We are not going to make the same mistake again. We're never going back to where we just came from, because we love the Lord. Great. Is anything ever going to come in and stop you? No, we're never going to be stopped. Let's go. And so it looks like 
They're completely locked in at this point. And so they start rebuilding the temple. And it's going great. Everybody's chipping in. Everybody knows their position out there on the field. And they're having a great time. Everybody's going around high-fiving each other. The foundation of the temple is being built. And it is fantastic. But then the opposition kicks in. They've got neighbors who don't like what they're doing. Their neighbors are the, the Samaritans. And they didn't like the Jewish people coming back into the land. They felt a little bit threatened by them in the land. And so instead of embracing them, they, they line up across the ball from them and they end up getting ready for a fight. And they start throwing accusations against them. They start going to the authorities and spreading lies about them. Any way for them to get in and to stop what God might be doing through them in Jerusalem. Their intent, the sole purpose of their mind is to cause as much pain and inflict as much opposition as they can so this work will stop. And so they line up across the ball. And what was feeling easy for them, they were excited about what they were doing. All of a sudden it becomes hard. It becomes difficult. And you know what happens? They give up. They stop. They felt so called to do what God had called them to do, but they just stopped. And for 16 years, they stayed away from the work that God called them to do. For 70 years, that's all they could think about. I can't wait till the day that we get to go back. I can't wait, I can't wait, I can't wait. And then when the fight shows up, they just stop. They stop. And Haggai writes into this context. We don't know much about the prophet Haggai. We, uh, we know that um, he wrote this book. Um, there are commentators who say that he's likely an old man, probably somewhere up in his upper 70s at least, because there are some things that he writes in this book that makes us think that he saw the temple before it was ever destroyed. So he's an older gentleman who's gone all the way through uh, the, the captivity. And, and so he was a prophet. We know this, that he was called by God to the people with the mindset of helping them to keep the main thing, the main thing in their lives. And this all centers around rebuilding the temple. And so through these two chapters, you're going to hear about rebuilding the temple, rebuild the temple, rebuild the temple, and why it's important. And it wasn't just about building the temple, but it was about reestablishing the foundation of who God is in their life, reestablishing who is the most important person and the most important thing in their life. It's not just about a temple. This is a battle for their heart. The battle for first is really a battle for, for our hearts. And so if you've got your Bibles there, again, if you found Haggai, or Haggai, or Haggai, we are in chapter 1, and we'll start here in verse 1. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of, uh, came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shelatiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say, the time has not come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet, is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You've sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Verse 7. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and, may, and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, it blew away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts? Because of my house that lies in ruins while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you have withdrew the dew. 
The earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast and all their labors. So you've been putting your hands to all this stuff, but you don't feel fulfilled. You don't feel fulfilled. You don't feel satisfied. Well, why not? Because you have taken your mind away from the first thing. You've given way to this battle that we were just uh, talking about. And so what I want to do is I want to look at verse 2. Um, all the rest of this book, it's going to be about correcting this one thing. This is one of the key verses of the whole book here, okay? This one thing, he's going to be correcting all the way through. So go ahead, if you underline in your Bibles, go ahead and underline it, highlight it, circle it, whatever you need to do for this to stand out to you. Because not only is this a challenge for the people who are reading it then, but I think this is a challenge for us as we read it today as well. He says, the people say, the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. And to be real honest, I think this is, is code word for the people have said that I've got better things to do right now. Time's not come to rebuild the house of the Lord. I, I, I've got better things to do right now than to do what, the God, do what God has called me to do. It's kind of like this mindset of um, I'm, I'm going to get around to it when I can get around to it. That's the attitude that he's addressing here. Now, if you've got kids... How do you feel when your kids give you the, I'm going to get around to it when I get around to it attitude? How's that feel, mom, dad? Right? Do you love it when your kids, like you show up into the room and say, hey, I told you to clean up your room and you walk in and the room is just filthy? You're like, hey, I told you to clean your room. And they look at you and like, yeah, I know you did. They're like, well, why didn't you clean your room? Well, I'm going to get around to it when I can get around to it. What's that do to you as a mom and a dad? Right? That puts your child in some serious danger, doesn't it? And then it puts you in danger of maybe going to jail. Let's just be honest with one another. We don't deal well with this delayed obedience because what do we say? Or delay, uh, delayed obedience is disobedience. Yeah, that's right. Delayed obedience isn't obedience at all. Delayed obedience is disobedience. And God feels the same way about this delayed obedience that Judah is giving right now. You, you've, you, you've said the time's not now to build my house. Well, well then, when, when, when's it going to be? Well, what would cause them to think like this? They're excited to get back into the land. Um, the work started. They're actually making great progress. Remember, the, the foundation of the temple, it's been built. But they hit this roadblock along the way, and it's not become easy for them anymore. It, it, it doesn't mean that it's not important. Listen, it doesn't mean that it's not important anymore because they hit a roadblock. It just means that it's not easy for them anymore. And so while they're building, these people show up. And they say, hey, we don't like your strategy. We don't like your vision. We don't like the way you're parenting your kids. We don't like the way you're putting in your work. We don't like the proposal that you put in. We don't like how you're maintaining your yard. We don't, and, and whatever. And so they start giving all these accusations and things that we could feel too. And, and their feelings begin to get a little bit hurt. And so what was easy for them now is an emotional block. It's a, not only an emotional block, but it becomes a physical block for them. And it stops being easy. And if we bring this back into the, the realm of football, this is a 6'4", 320-pound jack lineman now who's across the line, and the battle has just gotten hard. You've been pushing around a 5'3", 120-pounder, but now the battle just got real here. And so instead of digging in, they go towards something that's just easier. It's not fulfilling. They just end up going towards something that's much easier. And so for 16 years, what they do is they push pause on God. Yeah, 
I know, I know, I know. I, I know what I'm supposed to do, but it's just not the time. I'm getting around to it when I can get around to it. And they push pause on God's plan. So what I want you to do is I want you to think about something. Is there something that God has called you to? There's something that God has put on your heart, something that maybe you have felt that God has put there and it's been hard, but you know that God has called you to that even if you've been busy. Or, and, and, but instead of answering that call, you said, you know what? I'm just going to put that on hold for right now. I'm going to push pause. And you said, well, maybe I'm going to get around to it at some point. But for now, I'm just going to work on something else instead. Now is not the time. You ever push pause on something that you feel like God's called you to do? What was it? What did you push pause on? Why did you push pause? Was it because you somehow decided that maybe this wasn't the will of God anymore? Like you've discerned and, and so it's clear like this wasn't the will of God. Is that why? Or did we push pause on something that we feel God has called us to because it stopped being easy? It started to get more difficult than we ever expected that it that might be. The peer pressure of, of, of people around us at school, or the, the peer pressure of people at work, and the peer pressure of, of uh, them saying, you're disappointing me, or you, I don't like the way that you're handling this thing. Did you stop because God just kind of pulled it back and said, this wasn't what I have for you, or did you stop because it's actually hard? You see, when, when something is hard, it doesn't mean that it's not what God has called you to. When something becomes hard, it might actually be that you're beginning to step into the enemy's territory. And when you step into the enemy's territory, you can expect opposition. You can expect something to come again. You can expect accusations to be made. You can expect that your life is not going to be easy when you're doing something hard that the Lord has called you to. But when you're doing what he's called you to, you're going to be able to experience fulfillment and true satisfaction. If it's hard, it may be that you're stepping to the enemy's camp. And he's threatened. And they're going to do, he's going to do everything that he can to stop you dead in your tracks. So the, the people, they come back into the land with a burden on their heart for God's temple. And it wasn't just about the temple, guys. This, this was the center of worship for the Jews. But it, it, it organized the rest of their lives. And it became the foundation of everything that they were going to be about. And so the idea was, if there's no temple there, then there's no worship. If there's no worship of God then what's going to happen is you're going to be subject to worshiping something because make no mistake about it, we all will worship something. We were made to worship. We were made to worship God. And so if we take him out of the picture and we're not worshiping him, what gets filled into the gap? We will worship something. And so for them not to have a temple, this was them subjecting themselves to just being a worshiper of the culture, being a worshiper of whatever their hearts desired that was not God. And so they were like, we... we we're not going to make this mistake again until the opposition shows up. Well, if it wasn't time to do what God had called them to do, then what was it time for? Look at verse 3. The word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet. Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. And, and I love what he says here. This idea of consider your ways. He says it several times throughout this book. It's actually one of the things he calls us to from the Old Testament all, all the way through the New Testament through his word, right? Consider what you're thinking about. Think, think about what you're doing. Think hard about what you're doing because this has implications on your life, but it also has implications on people around you. You said that it's not time to build my house, but what have you said that it's time for? For the last 16 years, you focused on building your own stuff. You focus on building your own life. While my house is over, is over here lying in ruins, you've been, you've been padding up your own place. He uses this word, 
paneled here. This is the word paneled. The word paneled means to be well appointed or, or to, to put it in uh, an easier context. It means to be comfortable. Um, it says, you've neglected building my house, the thing that I've called you to, the, the battle for first priority. You've set that aside. You've pushed pause on this, but yet you've pushed play on everything else in society. You've, you've built the city. It looks fantastic. You've built your house. It looks like you're not just, you're not just building a house to live in. But this is the equivalent. When he says paneled houses, this is the equivalent of saying, hey, Chip and Joanna, I want you to come into our house, and I want you to redecorate everything. Spare no expenses. You can come in, and you can do whatever you want. Make it as elaborate as you want. And, and this is, is not, they're not being slammed for having nice things or having a nice house. That's not the issue that Haggai's pointing out here. Some people can rip this out of the context and, and say that this is a declaration against being wealthy or this is a declaration against being, having nice things or this is a passage that says we have to take a vow to poverty and that sort of thing. This is, like, that, that's to take it out of its context and to make it mean something that it doesn't mean. What's happening here, they are being slammed because their personal comfort was taking place over their personal obedience. Let me say that again. They're not being slammed because they have stuff and they've been working on their homes. They're being slammed because their personal comfort has taken place of their personal obedience to God's call in their lives. It's been comfort over obedience as opposed to obedience over comfort. One of our main our values, our core values here at Riverview is to help us fix this thing. We've said we're going to be about God's mission over our comfort. Yeah, the mission may be hard, but we're not going to settle into comfort because when we settle into comfort, we miss out on impact. When we settle into comfort, we miss out on what true fulfillment is. And so we're always going to be about God's mission. And so they had forgotten the mission they were called to, and they were just simply going after their own thing. And if you feel a little tension about this whole build your house, build his house kind of thing, and there's some tension around that, I want you to know that that's a good thing because that's what this was designed to do. Haggai is trying to cause some tension there. God is trying to cause tension through Haggai so they can begin to ask themselves, to cons- how, am I, how am I doing with this? Consider my ways. Hebrews 4 tells us, <clears throat> for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joint and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Because God's word helps us to confront the desires and the motives of our hearts. It helps us to discern What's taking the largest priority in our life? What are we fighting for and what are we settling for? And it's not anything new. I mean, there's always been a temptation. There will always be a temptation to put off what we know that we've been called to in place of settling down into the comfortable life. And so God just says, hey, here's what I want you to do. I want you to think about it. Think about what you're doing. Consider your ways. Give some thought to this. And it, it's almost like he's being a little bit trite. I don't know if we can say that God's being trite, but he's actually, I mean, there, there's a little bit of sarcasm that's mixed in with this because he's asking, hey, how's that working for you? How, how, how's this working for you? Are you really satisfied? Are you really fulfilled by this? And I think we can ask the same question of, of ourselves, how we consider our ways. Are we really satisfied when we pursue our own comfort? Or are we feeling like, man, I just feel like there's probably more. I feel like I might be missing out on, on something here. This was Judah. They were building their fancy city, they were building their fancy houses, but they were still walking around empty. And how do we know? Look at verse 6. It says, you've sown much and harvested little. Eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. 
<clears throat> you clothe yourselves, but nobody's warm. And he who earns wages does not does so to put them into a bag with holes. In other words, he's saying, you're working like crazy. You never stop, but you still never feel fulfilled. You still never feel satisfied. You've got your spouse and kids. You've got everything that your heart ever desired, but you still feel empty. You still feel like you're missing something. You've got all your ducks in a row, and you've got your basement finished, and, and you've got your man cave, but at the end of the game, you're just like, well, I think they're still missing something. Guys, we, we've spent, uh, since December of this past year, working on our basement, just slowly trying to you know, have a place that we can go settle down in, and to watch games. And I, and I thought, like, man, this is going to be awesome. This is going to be awesome. And for me, and honestly, it does feel awesome because it's about 60 degrees down there, and it's fantastic. But at the same time, I thought that it would give me a little bit more fulfillment than what it actually does. I, I enjoy it, but I'm still like, okay, what's next? You know, that's done. Now, now what else am I going to work on? See, when we're constantly going for the next thing, like we're missing out on what's, what truly is going to satisfy us, and, and we still may be missing out on something. And here's the deal. When we settle for comfort, we're always going to fall short of true fulfillment. I'm going to end here with verse 7 and 8. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and I may be glorified, says the Lord. Just real quick, let's ask the, the text some questions here. How is the Lord going to take pleasure or what's he going to take pleasure in? What's he going to be glorified by? Is it going to be because they've got these really beautiful houses and they've got a really nice city? What he's going to be glorified by is their obedience. If you do what I've called you to, that's where the pleasure is going to come. That's where the, the glory is going to come from. You can build this, this life over here all you want, but it's the real fulfillment, the real satisfaction, the real pleasure that's going to come. It's going to be in obedience to the Lord. And for people who really like to have some next steps or to have something to charge forward with and to have action steps, this is what he says. Because now that I've called you out on the rug on this and you're aware of the issue, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go up to the mountain or go up to the hills. I want you to bring down the wood and I want you to build my house. The thing that you've been pushing pause on, the thing you've said, stop, I'm not going forward with that because now is not the time. It says, now is the time. You push play and you go, do what I've called you to do. Go up the hill, bring down the wood and build my house. Well, if I go up the mountain, that's not easy. No, it's not easy. I've got I've to stop what I'm doing and make time to actually go up and make the trek up the mountain. Well, bring down the wood. Well, that's not easy either. Uh, I've got to chop it. I've got to carry it. I've got to bring it back down the mountain. I don't have the time for that. He says, I don't care. Bring it down. Build my house. Well, that's not easy either. There's still a battle there. The Samaritans haven't gone anywhere. They're still on the other side of, of the line. And I actually love that God doesn't change the target here. He doesn't say, okay, you don't feel like it's easy, so I'll just make it a little bit easier for you. He doesn't change the standard. He says, I'm still giving you the target to shoot after. This is my righteous requirement. This, I've called you to obedience. See, one of the things that we typically do, and I'll just use myself, one of the things that I do is that if, like, if you're sighting in a gun, right, you're shooting a target down the line, and so it's right there on the back of the wall, and I shoot, and I don't hit the target, I end up hitting, a tar I end up hitting somewhere up here. And what we're prone to do is say, okay, well, that must not have been where I should have been shooting. I should have just shot right up here. And so instead of adjusting our aims to hit the target that we were shooting at, we just adjust our aim to say, you know what? No, that's probably what I should go with. Instead of 
making the small adjustments on our scope to get my shot from up here, the thing that I missed, and bring it down to what I'm actually supposed to be shooting at. And this is what Haggai is doing, or this is what God is doing with Haggai with his people. He's adjusting their sights. He's bringing them back down to target. He's adjusting their hearts to the obedience that he's called them to. I want to make a, a pretty hard stop right here. And what I want to ask us to do, just in response to this word, is I want us to, I want us to, to go up the mountain, go up the hill, and bring down the wood and build the house. And here's what I mean by that. Over the, the next month, like we're going we're to be in Haggai for the next uh, three weeks, so four weeks total. Um, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be doing something called re-listen and respond. This is, we're going we're gonna to jump into God's word and we're going to read it. Like we're going to ask you, just read Haggai. Just, just read. If, like you could literally, you could read this book once a day in probably less than 10 minutes. If, if, even if you're a slow reader, I'm a slow reader. It takes me forever to read. We're going to ask you to read the word, but not just read it. Get, give enough time for yourself to hear it, to listen to what God has for you. And then how he leads you to respond, actually respond. Go up the mountain, bring down the wood, build the house. We're going to, throughout this month, we're just calling ourselves back to obedience. Whatever the Lord leads us to, we're going to lead into, we're going to, we're going to lean into obedience on this. And so uh, throughout the, throughout the month, we're going to be, uh, we're going to be sending you guys stuff to do. Um, yay, right? We're going to have more stuff to do. <clears throat> but we're going to be pushing things out through our social media. And so if you don't have the app, uh, go ahead and download that because we're going to, we're going to push out some things on the app. If you uh, haven't followed on, on uh, Facebook or Twitter or whatever these things that they go out on and Instagram, we're going to be pushing things there as well because we want to be growing together. It's easier when we do this stuff together. Right now, I'm really excited about this. Tony is working on a Spotify list that goes along with Hey Guy. And so some of, some of the things that like, sometimes you just need to sit under just the, the, the worship of the Lord and allow just some music and the Lord to speak to you. Um, through music. And so he's putting together a playlist that we can just sit and soak in the Lord as we read Haggai or as we process the things that he wants us to do. And there's uh, a lot of cool things that are going to be pushed out. So make sure you're paying attention throughout the week. And if notifications are turned off on, uh, on the RCC app, turn them on because we want you to get what's coming your way. Um, but here's the, the one thing that I, I really want to focus on right now. Um, and this is a pointed ask uh, of you. This is us as a collective group going up the mountain, grabbing the wood, bringing it down, and building the house. I'm going to ask you to help us build the house in the student ministry. Here, here, here's the deal. Like, you guys know that we've been um, working on trying to find a student pastor. It's been a long process. It's been a good process with the people that we're doing it with, but it's been hard in the sense that we don't have that person yet. And so we are by committee. We are um, collectively leading the student ministry this year, which I'm excited about because I think there's going to be a lot of growth in that. Um, but the reality is that we don't have an adequate number of people to help. And so we need men and women and, and, and high school kids to help with this ministry. Middle school and high school ministry and fourth and fifth quest ministry that happens in the school. And in just a few minutes, I'm going to invite Kelsey up to, to talk about this. But guys, here's the deal. I, like, just, just, just one, this may not be your thing. But it may be, it may be something, you know, God has called me to do something and I've pushed pause on this. I've said I don't have time, but it may mean that the time, you have the time, but you just haven't cleared it out yet. And so the Lord might use you this semester in student ministry because you said, you know what, I, I'm, I'm going to go up the hill. I'm going to grab some wood and I'm going to come down and I'm going to build the house. I'm going to do it in the student ministry. And so I want to ask you to be a part of that. Um, Kelsey is going to be out in the lobby and after the service. And if the Lord pricks your heart 
for student ministry. This is just one way that we're going to read, listen, and respond and, and help out with student ministry. Um, we'd love to have you. And so I'm going to throw a video up here real quick. Then Kelsey's going to come up. We're going to do a song, and then we're going to pray together. And we're going to go about our week, and we are going to go up the mountain. We are going to bring down the wood, and we are going to build the house to obedience. Hi, everyone. I know I'm a new face to many of y'all. My name is Rebecca Hu, and we recently moved to the area in November of last year and started attending fellowship with y'all. I heard about the squad program on Wednesday nights and decided to check it out for our son, Layson. And since we currently live in Louisville, I thought, you know, I'm gonna have to drive him over there. I might as well volunteer. And you know what? God hooked my heart. These kids are amazing. And we as volunteers have the opportunity to show them really who Jesus is through our love and our care for them and meeting them exactly where they are. And I decided to volunteer again this coming year because I know there's a lot of changes happening right now. And a familiar face to some of these kids is everything. Some of them don't come from stable backgrounds or they don't have a life that they get constant love. But we as volunteers have the opportunity to speak into their life, to love on them at their worst like Jesus did. And you know what? It doesn't just fill these kids up. It fills us up and teaches us to be empty vessels for the Lord to use and for him to pour out into our lives. And I really hope that you'll consider joining us. Hey, RCC, this is Greg. Hope you're having a great Sunday. I just wanted to quickly share some of my experiences with the uh, youth group on Wednesday nights as a leader, adult leader. And uh, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, I'm actually surprised how fun it has been. And uh, just want to continue that uh, for our youth in this kind of time of transition. Uh, they're navigating a lot of difficult stuff in this world, and and we need to show up, and we need to uh, be that light for them and show them the way. Hey, my name is Katie Scartwee, and I just choose to volunteer because I want to make a difference in these kids' life. I want to plant a seed that says... God is full of hope and love and grace. And I just want them to make the decision to turn their life over to Jesus. So that's why I do it. I started serving on Wednesday nights in student life because when I was in middle school and high school, my life was greatly impacted by different youth leaders that poured into me. They walked alongside me through some of the toughest times of my life, including losing classmates my freshman and sophomore years in high school. They genuinely cared, and they wanted to spend time with us kids. And even though they had about a million other things that they could have been doing every week, they chose to consistently and intentionally show up. Now, I continue serving because I fell in love with a group of sixth grade girls. Um, they're now juniors in high school and just having a front row seat to what Jesus is doing, pursuing them and now watching their own desires um, and yearning in their hearts to grow with him has just encouraged me so much. And they're fun to hang out with. We laugh, we cry, we pray, we play games, we eat. It's just some of the sweetest times just hanging out with them and being able to be a part of their lives um, over the years. They've 
it's really transitioned from seeing me be the one teaching them truth to them teaching each other truth and them teaching me truth and watching so many kids here at Riverview and in our community to choose to follow Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. Um, it's what it's all about. It's all about um, kingdom impact and we're seeing that fruit happen here. So please consider serving on the student life ministry team. There's a huge gap that we have a need for. Um, God cares about kids and the kids here in Ashland desperately need you to step into this mission field. You're going to be surprised at how much fun we have, how much your own personal faith is going to grow and everything that you're going to learn. And your kingdom impact isn't just a kid that is sitting in front of you. It goes far beyond that. It goes to their entire family and beyond into future generations. So please consider, um, think about it, pray about it. Uh, and we would love to see you here September 8th for Student Life Kickoff. Hi, guys. Um, if you don't know me, my name is Kelsey Cooper. Um, I'm actually starting my sixth year helping with our high school group, Anomaly. Um, I actually felt called to do student ministry for a long time until before I finally accepted that because I had so many excuses. You know, when I started, I had three kids. I was just finishing up my master's program. I was pregnant. I was coaching middle school volleyball. There was a lot going on. And so I kept saying, I'm too busy. I'm too busy. I'm too busy. I don't have time for that. And he kept whispering and saying, they need you. This is where I want you. You belong here. Um, and since starting that, it has been so incredibly rewarding. I, there ha I cannot tell you the countless weeks that I am exhausted on a Wednesday because I'm also um, an elementary teacher. So I am exhausted and I come home. I'm like, there is no way I'm going to make it through Anomaly tonight. And I go and I leave with an energy like, wow, okay, yeah, I see you, okay. But um, we have three ministries that we serve. We have Quest, which is right after school um, until about 4.30, that is at the elementary school. Then we have Squad, which is our middle school, 6th, 7th, and 8th group, grade group. They're from 5.30 to 7-ish. And I'm going to say ish because the, the times kind of are a little bit fluid. There is a time, though, that we do tell our middle schoolers, okay, y'all, we love you, but you got to go. It's time to leave. And then our high school group is, I mean, we usually show up between 7.15 and 7.30, and we are done 9-ish. Again, ish, knowing that there have been many times I have not been home before 10. Um, because the conversations that we have after our small group sometimes are the most powerful. So at small group will finish, and I'm like, wow, we did great. It's 9, 10, and we're done. And then I have somebody come up and say, hey, can I talk to you for a second? Yep, absolutely. So, guys, I am... Uh, standing up here pleading. These kids need us, and they need strong adults that love Jesus and can show their love to those kids. Because like um, the people in the other videos have said is, we have a great group here that need something. They are looking and searching, and many of them in the wrong places. And this is is such a cool place for them to be able to come, hear truth speak to, spoken to their lives. 
And so I am begging you, if you are feeling that tug on your heart, if God is saying to you, this is it, yep, answer, this is what I'm asking you to do, please stop, please don't say no any longer. Please say, okay, let's see what happens. Because I promise you that it will be so much more rewarding for you um, than you ever thought it would be. I, I said yes because I wanted to be there for kids and I leave feeling just as, just as full as I had ever hoped to fill them. Um, if you are thinking, okay, well, I, I don't think I wanna work like with kids, but I would love to support this ministry. We do feed our squad kids as well. And so we, need, we do need people to volunteer to sign up to provide food. Um, on Wednesday nights, and even if that is in the capacity of, I'm willing to donate some money so someone else can provide food to them. Um, that would be super amazing. I will be here after the service if you just wanna chat quick or if you have a question, um, but please consider um, joining our group because really, like Jacqueline said, it really is a lot of fun. Thanks, guys.